the scripture reading today is from Galatians 1, 13 to 24. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Thank you, Leanne. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Galatians. Chapter 1, as you heard from our reading this morning, we're beginning at verse 13 today. We're going to complete the chapter in this uh, amazing letter that we've been in together as a church Uh, learning about God's Word, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. It's actually, most theologians, as I've mentioned before, believe this is the first letter that was written in the New Testament. It doesn't show up first in your New Testament, but they believe it is the first letter that was written. And Paul is writing back to one of the churches that he planted, actually to all of the churches that he planted, six or seven of them in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, he's concerned because... After 14, 15 years, people are coming from Jerusalem, Judaizers, into the community and are teaching people something other than the gospel. In fact, what they're doing is adding to the gospel. And we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks that it's either by addition or subtraction, it's not a gospel. And Paul's making that point that there is one gospel, there is a definitive gospel, and it is the gospel of salvation. It's the only gospel. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at this passage, and it's uh, it's really a continuation from last week about Paul really uh, uh, un- unfolding the beauties of the gospel. But what he's going to do is really interesting. He's going to give us his testimony, as you've heard. And as we, as we look at that, I-, I was thinking earlier this week, actually, my father-in-law, uh, he loves military movies. <laughs> I mean, it's natural for him because he spent uh, a great deal of his life, his career, quite frankly, in the armed forces. And he loves these movies. You go over to his place, he's always asking me, you know, you know, besides a few other things, but do you want to watch a war movie? You know, and <laughs> most of them are in black and white. And I'm like, Dad, it's okay, really, seriously. But, you know, the truth is, I actually like military movies too. But the kind that I like, I like the comedies, you know. There's some comedies, but I, I like other ones, you know. There's one that most of you know where there's a famous line in it, right? You can't handle the truth. I kind of sounded like him, didn't I? You know, that's, that's, of course, Jack. He's speaking to Tom Cruise's character in a movie called A Few Good Men. Uh, the, the other thing about these military movies that I like, really that I like, is I love it when it's about the, the drill sergeants. You know, like those guys, they, you know, they get right in the nose of the soldiers, right? And they're like just, they're mean as all get out, and they're just barking out orders. And, of course, you know, when they come outside of the barracks, you know, and they're kind of like, you know, just standing around, all of a sudden you're going to hear that drill sergeant, that commander, walk up in front of everybody, and he's going to go, attention! That's spelled A-T-T-E-N-S-H-U-T, by the way. I don't know why, but it's the way it sounds. Isn't this attention? Right? And then probably the next thing he's going to say is, about face, which is the command to turn around 180 degrees and begin to march. 
And I was thinking about that this week in relation to Paul's life. It's an amazing command. I, I don't know where that came from. I mean, it literally means turn around, right, 180 degrees from the direction you're currently facing so that you can begin to march. But why about face, right? Like, what about, what's with the face, right? And as I researched it, it's actually from the British Army. They, of course, the Brits, they've got interesting words for everything. Uh, but the, the point of it was you need to turn your face in the direction of the hill or the country or the place that you're going to conquer, Your face has to be pointing in that direction, not backwards, but forwards. Now, I know that many of you uh, are maybe not fans of military movies, especially the the blood and guts parts, and me me either, actually, like Saving Private Ryan. Great movie, but, man, it's pretty, pretty tough stuff. But especially, I think, when it comes to the whole idea of following orders, right? Following commands. It's one of the main reasons I would suggest why many people think that following Jesus following God, right, is all about following rules and regs, orders and commands, and well, that just doesn't seem like a lot of fun, does it? And yet the truth is, the life they're living, the direction they're living, many people actually find themselves today, the people who do go into the armed forces, people who are sent by their parents, are actually people who are thinking, you know what, the life that I'm living today isn't really going the way I thought it was, and maybe a little bit of discipline and order might be good for me. And that's why actually a lot of people go into military service to begin with. And so the truth, I think, also is is that many of us find ourselves at some point in our lives thinking, you know, I may have taken a wrong turn somewhere (laughs) at some point. I may actually have been going in the wrong direction, or my life isn't going in the direction that I'd hoped, that that I dreamed about when I was younger. And so maybe I need an about face. Maybe that's what I need. But we resist it. (laughs) We do, don't we? We resist the about face. Especially when someone, whether a mother, a father, a teacher, a mentor, a friend, or a spouse, tells us that is exactly what you need. You need a turnaround. You need an about face. And it really becomes annoying when they tell us what we need to do is turn around and face God. And follow God. And point our lives towards God. That becomes challenging. But it's really a complete about-face that's necessary. A 180 degrees turn for most of us, I would suggest. But it's a problem for us. It's a problem for us. It's a struggle. Many of us don't like to be told we're wrong. Many of us don't like to be told we're going the wrong direction. And so it's a big, big challenge. That's Paul's message for us today in Galatians. To the, to the churches that he wrote to in A.D. 50. That's a long time ago, right? But the truths of 2,000 years ago are amazingly relevant and true for today. The gospel is intended to lead us in a very different direction, a 180-degree about face. And so our key takeaway for today is this. God's good grace revealed always produces an about face. So this little letter that we're reading um, is actually a different um, style, or I should say format, for the Apostle Paul. I've told you before that typically when he writes a letter, it's about two-thirds, it's about doctrine, theology, right? Who God is, what he has done, why you need to believe this, right? And then the last third is usually about, okay, in light of that, how should we then live? This is a little different. This letter is different. And what's amazing about the difference is, 
it is a personal testimony. Like the whole letter is really based on a good personal testimony. The kind of personal testimony you should hear, you would want to hear at a person's baptism. The first two chapters of Galatians are literally about Paul's biography, primarily about his life before Jesus, right? What he was like before Jesus. And we heard it read today, him confessing and telling us what his life before Jesus was. And then chapters 3 and 4 are really about doctrine and theology and the gospel and, and, and why Jesus came and why he died and what that means for us. And then chapters 5 and 6 are, okay, this is now how then we should live. So it's, it's a beautiful layout of this particular chapter. So today we get immersed in Paul's personal testimony. And so now as Paul continues, we, we gotta, we're going to learn three things about his purpose for sharing his testimony. First, like we've seen before, he wants everyone to know that he didn't come up with this gospel by himself. It's not his invention. That's really important in order for him, as we'll see as we go through this letter, for him to dispel the the teachings and the rumors, the false teachings of the Judaizers who've come to add to the gospel in Galatia. It didn't come through human wisdom, intellect, or human reasoning. And as we will see, he reminds us that until the point that he met Jesus, until the point that the day that he became a Christian, he hated the church. He hated Christians to the point he was spending his life trying to kill them. So he set out that day for Damascus, listen to this, intent on its total destruction and demise. There were no gospel meetings. There was no one along the way giving him a little C.S. Lewis or a little apologetics or a little, can we talk about this, Paul? Because listen, you know, this is actually what's happening. with None of that happened. That's his first point. He wants us to know that he did not receive this through any wisdom or even himself trying to figure it out. It was all foreign to him. And frankly, as far as he was concerned, it was heresy to a Jew, to a Jew at that time. That this, this lowly man who allowed himself to get crucified on a Roman cross could be the Messiah? Heresy. Heresy. As far as he was concerned. Instead, one morning, he was opposed, hateful, set on destroying the church, and by afternoon, boom, he's an apostle. <laughs> in a breath, in a moment... That's what he wants us to understand. Secondly, he continues to assert that nobody else, no other apostle or man or teacher explained the gospel to him. As we read already in verses 16 and 17, he says this, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. In fact, he took three years, three years from after he recovered from his blindness, after Ananias had prayed over him and laid hands on him, and his blindness, having seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, come back to him, he takes three years with Ananias, and we believe Barnabas came along to be with him. He goes to Arabia, he comes back to Damascus, but he's basically in fellowship with the small churches and a small number of believers in that area. And what is he doing? He's being loved by the body. He doesn't immediately go running back to Jerusalem to to the Sanhedrin and to his Jewish brothers and sisters and say, I met the Messiah. Not yet. He doesn't do that. He takes three years. And so he makes this point. It's really important. And it's very important since the false teachers who had come into the churches in Galatia were saying that they were from Jerusalem and they'd heard the gospels from the capital A apostles, which they're claiming Paul is not. 
and they are wanting to let us all know that, they, that Paul doesn't have the full gospel. He doesn't have the full gospel. But then finally, Paul turns that all around. He turns it all around and tells us that on another trip to Jerusalem about 10 years later, his gospel message was checked out by guess who? Cephas, Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus, and all the apostles, when they heard what Paul had been preaching in Galatia and around the world at that time, they glorified God because of Paul. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel, the only gospel they knew. And so that's his point. That's his point. Paul's testimony then affirms and confirms, A, his apostolic authority, and that the gospel he preached was from Jesus directly by revelation. And it is for Paul and all of us here today, hear this, it's based on grace. He didn't deserve it. Come on. (laughs) A murderer? He didn't deserve it, and he knew it, and he knew that it was based on grace. And so let's look a little bit more deeply at our passage and learn about this beautiful gospel of grace. You'll see in your notes, our point number one is this. God's grace pursues us. It's God's grace that pursues you. You don't pursue God. I don't pursue God. He pursues us. Verses 13 to 14 say this. Paul speaking or writing. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul's actually a very humble man. Despite what people said about him in that day, what people were saying about him for the last 2,000 years, and especially what some people are saying about him today, he's actually an incredibly humble man. He takes every opportunity that he can to tell us how horrible he was. How much he hated God, Jesus in particular, and the church. He takes every, every opportunity. My favorite passage about how he does that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he gives a very simple introduction to what the gospel is. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. That's, that's of what's of first importance. Because that literally happened. And there's, of course, more to it. Is why did he have to come? Why did he have to die? But he rose victorious over the cross. He begins that chapter by by talking about this this gospel, and then he goes on to tell how many people saw the risen Jesus. And he tells us in order who saw him in order. First Peter, and then the 12, and then 500 people at one time, he testifies. And he says, by the way, they're all alive today still. Go and ask them. And then he says to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to all the disciples, and then he says these words. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy, in fact, to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, look at this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I I think he's a humble man. And yet, he's a bold preacher. And, And for that reason, some people don't really like him too much because he preaches truth. And what he preaches is hard because it rubs up against our pride and our ego and our pharisaical attitude that, hey, I should be able to figure this all out. I should be able to be approved and worthy of God based on what I can do. And Paul's saying, guys, I tried it. (laughs) 
I was really good at it. It isn't enough. So twice Paul speaks here of God's grace, and he also displays his humility. And so back in Galatians, Paul first talks about his persecution of the church. He violently tried to destroy it, he says. He admits he wasn't a very nice guy. No kidding. A murderer, in fact, right? And when he meets Jesus on the road, he's got his mind set on more killing. I'm saying that word repeatedly, honestly, and I know it's like, why are you doing that? Because it's the truth. It's what he was set to do. At the same time, he says he was very religious and very devout, mature beyond his ways and his years in the faith. He's not just bragging. He was, by testimony of the Sanhedrin and others. He was. He's, it's the reason why he was given the permission and the letters to go to Damascus and round up all these heretic Christians. His reason for repeating all this, he wants those in Galatia and you and I here today to know this. It was all in vain. It was all in vain what he was trying to do. He thought his zeal and his actions proved beyond a shadow of a doubt his moral righteousness, making him approved and accepted by God. Do you see anything like that going on in our world today? People by their actions trying to prove how righteous they are? I won't politically comment at this point. (laughs) Well, on that day, he found out just how wrong he was, didn't he? On that day, he did. So look, he's showing us that despite how full of pride and rule-keeping righteousness he was, Jesus still, look at this, still saved him. Now, some people might go, I don't know if I like a God like that, a Jesus like that who would save somebody that despicable. (laughs) Be careful. But that's what some people think. He found out how wrong he was. He's showing us, despite all this, that Jesus would save even a man like him. More than that, make him an apostle, a leader in his church, someone who would write over half of the New Testament? Really? Yeah, that's what God does, actually. It's God's good grace that called Paul. Grace, again, is this free and unmerited favor that can cut to the heart of even the most hardened heart. That should be really good news for most of us in this room, if not all of us, even those of us who think we've had a soft heart towards God. And so this grace is sufficient for all, Paul wants us to know. Paul's life and testimony, quite frankly, are one of the best examples of all. Best examples of all. He goes on in verse 15 and says, but when he who had set me apart, look at this, but when he who had set me apart, let me see if I can, maybe I go past that? Yeah, there it is. But we, he who had set me apart before I was born, what is he saying here? And who called me by his grace. Paul's testimony of his past told us one thing about God's grace, and that is this, that it is for everyone. But now he looks back, look at this, at his events of his life, and he marvels at one more thing. He marvels at this. He's kind of amazed by this. Not only would God save a wretch like me, would God save a murderer like me, someone who is so self-righteous and proud like me, but he looks back, as we should, I think, who have received God's good grace also, and see, he looks back and he sees God's hand in his life before all these things took place. He sees that God set me apart before I was born. How in the world would he see that? How did he know that? Well, listen... First of all, he knew the God of the Old Testament, and so he knew that God knows all things, and God knows us even in our mother's womb, and so he knew that. 
He knew that God knew that, but now he can see in his life that through his life, even in the things that he was doing, God was molding, shaping, and preparing him every day for this about faith. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever seen that in your life? Have you ever looked back honestly and said, wow, now that I'm no longer going that direction, but I'm going this direction, I, you know, I, I can, it's amazing what I can see. I remember personally from my personal Catholicism, which I was raised in, you know, Catholic grade school, Catholic Jesuit boys high school, right, until I was 23 and came to faith in Christ, I was bitter with the Catholic Church when I first became a Christian. I remember going back to our Catholic Church Blessed Sacrament in Toronto that I went with with Janice a few, only months maybe after I was a Christian, I was like really angry. They didn't preach the gospel. I was so critical. And listen, trust me, there's some theological problems, all right? But the reality is, all of a sudden, God started to work on my heart. He said, wait a second, Glenn. Don't you remember Mother St. Fergus? The little tiny woman, even when I was eight years old, still seemed tiny, but she was mean (laughs) because she would give us the strap for being bad boys in grade school, and then she would talk to us and say, listen, this is not the way God, this is not the way Jesus made you to be. And then I started seeing all these things that happened in my life, in my Catholicism, in my life, but I also saw times in my life where I was like, oh my goodness, but for the grace of God, I could have died because of the choices and actions that I was doing were ridiculous. The things that I was putting into my body that could have killed me on more than one occasion, and yet I saw God's hand in these things, preserving me and making me ready for the about face, for the rest of my life. So it's astounding when you think of Paul's life and how at every stage and step, his attentions were for evil to destroy the church, but God would use that and turn it all to the good. Hey, listen, does that remind you of anybody? Somebody's life that we looked at just before Christmas. You know, a guy that had some dreams. Remember that guy? He had some dreams about his, his brothers and, and, and his mother and father bowing down to him. Remember that guy? And, and then they, they decided they wanted to kill him, and they threw him into a pit, and he got taken into slavery, right? Remember that? Into Egypt. Remember that? You do. Somebody say amen. Okay, thank you. Just want to make sure you're still there. Lights are bright. Yes, Joseph. What did he remember in chapter 50 of Genesis? Well, he said this to his brothers who were standing before him, still thinking, now he's going to kill us. And instead, he just wants to love them because they're his brothers. And he says these words. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So as with Joseph and Paul, the same is true, look, for you and me. The same is true for us. God in his sovereignty pursues. He is the one who is pursuing and calls us to live for him today and eternally. It's all God's work. None of us are here today because we're good people. None of us are drawn here today because we're really good. And we just want to come and show God, hey, check the box. Glenn is good. He was here today, right? Or anybody in this room was here today. That, that's, we're drawn by God and by his spirit. That's a good thing because if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't come. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest, right? It's this good grace that is calling us. Paul saw it clear as day. God's grace pursued him and called him. He could see it, and he's telling this. this. And so how, how have you seen that? I want you to think about that this week. How have you seen that? How God has called you? How God is calling you? 
God pursued Paul. He saved him and called him to serve him, not because of his own moral or religious merit, but because of God's good grace, because God had a plan for his life and for the lives of those that he would influence. Why we are here today, because Paul wrote and and was faithful to what God had called him to do. You know, this is is good love, by the way. This is an incredibly beautiful picture of love, isn't it? The kind of love that pursues you. It's the good thing about this kind of love, let's face it, is this. If it, if it, this kind of godly love, this kind of love that pursues you, wants what's best for you, wants to turn you around and face you in the right direction so that you can not only be blessed yourself but to be a blessing to others, the beautiful thing about that kind of love is it's an unconditional love. It's an unmerited love. It's the kind of love you can't ever lose can't lose this kind of love. It's forever. So this is God's grace that pursues us, and that's our point number one. Point number two, God's grace changes us. It changes us. Verses 16 and 17, again, we come back to, Paul says, was pleased, speaking of Jesus, of God the Father, to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So saved from and for a purpose. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so God's grace saves sinners like Paul. He reveals his risen son to both the proud and the evil, the religious and the non. And he's at work in his people even before he saves them to bring them to faith and equip them to serve him. But that's not where grace finishes its work, by the way. We've seen this already in the gospel, that the beginning of the gospel where we're being saved, and the beginning is that we're saved from this penalty of sin, this penalty that is on our account because of what we've done. But then there's more to this gospel. We are saved in this life today from the very power of sin around us. How? Through God's grace. God's grace continued to work in and through Paul. The apostle testifies not only of who he was and how God converted him, but also of what a life lived under God's grace looks like. Looks like. Paul's first, he makes this interesting note. God has revealed his son Jesus to me in order that I might preach to everyone. So so Paul, from the very get-go, he realizes that God didn't just save me for me. He saved me from me for this purpose. This purpose, to go and make disciples who make disciples, to preach the gospel so that others might be saved. Now, I I know it says here Gentiles in, in in your translation probably, but essentially that was like saying at that time to unbelieving pagans everywhere. Everyone you meet who doesn't know Jesus is essentially who he was being sent to. So let's ask this question again. How much of an about-face is that actually? How much of an about-face happened in Paul's life? What do you think? 90 degrees? 125? It's 180, isn't it? It's incredibly dramatic. There's no point in the New Testament where you see Paul wanting to go back to his past life. At all. But he does want to go back to the people left behind. He does want to go back to the people left behind. He's not being called to go back to them, to his own people and his own family and community right away, however. He needs strengthening in his faith. 
He needs a new creation, a new blood-bought family to support him and be with him. He's not ready to go back to his people and preach the gospel to them, but he will be. And so the call, the key, the key is to this about faith was not to condemn, but now to make Jesus known. He, he wasn't called to go out and condemn people, but to go and make Jesus known. So we can see and now say that God made Jesus known to Paul so that Jesus could be made known through Paul. That's the same for you and I here today. That's our purpose. That's why we've been saved. It's why we're called as Christians to go and make disciples who make disciples. And so to prepare him for his call and this turned around life, Paul needed three years of preparation and further revealing from God in Arabia before he was ready. This is often, I think, the same pattern that God has for you and I once we come to Christ. I remember first being saved and, and you know, getting my hair cut. <laughs> God, Jesus doesn't just save. He, he shaves sometimes. It's because I had really long hair, okay? And, but took away all kinds of things I was doing, you know, like smoking and drinking and, and drugs. It was a tremendous about face. People looked at me and went, Glenn, you look different. And besides the fact that you're acting differently. But it also took time for me to, to, to learn and, and go into Bible study and be in family and in community and, and figure this thing out a little bit. And, and also, I mean, I made some mistakes also early in my life as a Christian. You know, I went back to people who, you know, I were friends of mine. My, my good buddy Ralph was the biggest mistake I ever made, quite frankly. You know, Ralph and I were always hanging out together. And, you know, Ralph comes over like maybe three or four days after I'm a born-again Christian. And I'm like preaching at him. You know, like I'm just nailing him. And I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm mean-spirited. I'm just like, you need to repent, Ralph. Do you realize what you're doing? You smoke that stuff besides getting high? You know, like, I mean, it was terrible. He didn't speak to me for many years. My witness with him was lost for a long time. There's a purpose to these things that we read in Scripture. And in Paul's life, it's a tremendous, tremendous example. And so we see that God's grace, look, it changed Paul. It changes his allegiances as well. And this is often the most difficult thing, I think, for people to do today. Choose Jesus and the life that he has for you or your friends or your family. But hear this once again. It's this. God's grace received always produces an about face. So let's get kind of practical here, okay? Let's, let's, let's take this down to reality for a second. This about face is you turning, hear me, it's you turning from your life of sin, not from people you love. That's not what it is. It's you agreeing with God, look, I was going the wrong direction. That was leading to destruction, quite frankly. And now I want to follow Jesus. I want to go in this direction. And yet there's that tension where we look behind to people in community and people that we love and people who, to a lot of us, are good people. You know, like, okay, they're a little messed up. They're doing things I was doing, but I still love them. So it's really about you turning from your life of sin, not the people or community you live in. However, in Paul's case, look, as I've already said, he needed three years, a time for growing in his faith before he was ready to go back to preach the gospel. But hear this. Christian here today. Hear this, Christian. There must be an about face in your life. There must be an about face, a noticeable, visible turn in your life, and let it, let me put it very plainly to all of us here today. If it's not happening, 
If you have not turned, if there is not an about face, a 180 degree turn, you may not be saved. You may not be a Christian. Let's just be honest. The point of saying that is put your faith in Christ. Come to Him. Turn to Him. Turn to His good grace. Some of you may say, well, wait just a second. <laughs> Some of you might think and say, well, of course a guy like Paul, a religious zealot, you know, a murderer, should have a, an incredible you know, turn. I mean, certainly a prostitute, you know, or in today's day, you know, in some Christians' mind, certainly a homosexual, so like a really big sinner, like someone who's led a terrible life, should be seen to have an incredibly a big about face. Years ago, I met a woman by the name of Keo Nichols. She uh, led Streetlight Ministries at Union Gospel Mission in downtown Vancouver, spent 25 years on the streets of Vancouver as a prostitute and a heroin addict. And people loved inviting her to the churches because she had this amazing testimony, right? But boy, I'll tell you, she would nail people at the end of her testimony. Because she'd often say, now that's an amazing testimony, isn't it? Of what God can do in a sinner like me? Don't be so proud. You know, sometimes the, the idea can be, well, hey, listen, you know, like, I was already halfway there, you know? Like, you know, I, like, I, was, I, I was pretty good. I wasn't like that person. I wasn't like Paul. So, you know what? This 180-degree thing, probably it's not exactly the same for me. That's what the Pharisees were like. <laughs> That's exactly what the Pharisees were like. And these are the people that Jesus... And Paul are preaching to and saying, "Uh uh-uh, sorry. You know, yeah, when when Jesus took my sins on on the cross, yeah, they didn't hurt as much. They weren't as heavy on him. Because look, I, I, I was already pretty good. I wasn't Paul. So, so really, listen, you know, like, since people already knew me as pretty good, you know, now that I've got Jesus, like, I don't have to make a dramatic shift, a dramatic change. Friends. Please be careful. Please be careful. It is the reason why James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus when he was living in the same house as him, even up until the point that he died on the cross, it was afterwards that his own brother came to faith faith in Jesus. It's why James said these words, troubling words, especially to people who don't like to be told that there are rules and orders and ways to go. But James said this. You all know this. In James 1.22, he said, But, guys, listen. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You're deceiving yourself if you think a total about face is not what is produced through receiving God's good grace. Really, we're deceiving ourselves. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 7? I don't have time to go into it really here with you this morning, but I just thought of it last night, so I just wanted to mention it to you. Remember this, this prostitute comes in, right, and into the Pharisee's home and starts, you know, anointing him with this very expensive oil, and the Pharisees are kind of like going, doesn't he know what kind of woman she is, right? Like, doesn't, she, doesn't he know? And Jesus is like, excuse me, why do you think what you do about this woman? And, and, and Jesus makes the point, He who is forgiven little loves little. She who has been forgiven so much loves much. 
That's why there's a total about face. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is over here, not back there. He, he wants you to come this way so that you can go back there and represent him. And that's the point. If you're a new creation in Christ, like Paul, you are completely turned around. And look, here's the point. It should be more about you going back to your community, the people that you love, and representing Jesus to that culture and to those people you love, rather than representing the culture to the church. That happens a lot today. Well, you know, guys, you know, I don't know what Paul wrote about that because, you know, like, that just doesn't fly over here, right? That's pretty hard. But, you know, they, they, they kind of got a point. Like, you know, that happens a lot today in the church. And so that's our second point. God's good grace changes us. It's about an about face. Point number three, and we'll close with this, is God's grace is your gospel story. It's supposed to be your gospel story, just like Paul's. Paul concludes with this, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said. Listen, people were only hearing about Paul's testimony in other churches. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. They didn't glorify me. They didn't glorify my testimony. They glorified God because of me. The people in the churches in Galatia, the apostles in the churches of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth glorified God because Paul had an about face, a complete about face. His was like one of the great testimonies that we all want to hear. But here's your big takeaway, our big takeaway, I think, today. This is the big takeaway. Last week in our post-Sunday content for missional community groups, I inserted this question. It was intentional. And the question is, what's the gospel? You got a friend that comes up to you and says, you know, I've seen you, you know, like you're a Christian and, and you're still my friend and I know you go to church and, you know, you, know, you talk about Jesus and, and I've heard this thing, uh, you know, it's about the gospel and, and I've heard that, you know, to be saved, you know, I, I need to know the gospel, so could you tell me the gospel? Right? Could you tell me the gospel? I don't know how that worked out in your small group, but I'm, and I'm not going to name any names of the people that were in our small group, but, you know, we put that question out there, Aston, and I, I got to tell you, and this is a good thing, it's the reason why it was asked. There was a lot of challenges with people actually articulating the gospel. Oh, we had a few people given kind of a theological-sounding gospel, right? right? Jesus, he died, rose again, sins. You know, something like that, right? It was really simple, and it, it, but it was hard for us to articulate it. And so the question is, why is it so difficult or challenging, do you think? I mean, we read our Bibles and we hear the preacher articulate it, right? And more than a few times, I would hope, here at The Rock, we do, right? And so why do we have such a problem getting the words actually out? I'm going to tell you three reasons today. Number one, you may not have received God's good grace. You may not be a Christian. You just may not know the gospel. Secondly, you're not sharing it enough. We come here and hear it, or we hear others podcast or other people say it, but we're not sharing it with people. And thirdly, we are suffering what, from what Paul talks about here today, fear of man. We're afraid to. People might not like us. So listen. First, on the first point, receive God's good grace. Come to Jesus. Place your faith in him. Pray. Ask him to turn you around. 
to give you a new life. Receive the sacrifice that God made on the cross in your place and for you. Secondly, see every opportunity that you have in your relationships as an opportunity to share the gospel. And the best way to do that with non-believers, people who don't know Jesus, is to follow Paul's pattern in his letter. Start with your life before Jesus. It's the baptism testimony, right? Tell people about your life before Jesus. Tell them about how you were living. Now, I know. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to be going, hey, you're talking about my life. (laughs) Yes, but you're talking about yourself, how you viewed it, not how you view them. Talk about it. Tell them about what you were like and why this was not good, why this was holding you back. Then tell them your Damascus Road experience. None of us are going to have an exact, (laughs) come on, road experience like Paul had. But friends, you must have had an experience where you sensed God's presence and you poured out your heart and confessed your sins to him. You must have had that. Share that with people. And then what your life has been like with Jesus since that time. How good it is. It's still a struggle, but you know what? There's a couple things I know. God loves me and approves of me no matter what. And when I die, I will be with him. Not because of anything I've done, but because he loves me that much. And because his forgiveness is that good. (laughs) And then with your fellow Christians, listen, with everyone else that you're in community with, share the gospel. Rather than this, and I'm not being critical when I say this because I do it too, rather than sending someone to a blog article or an author or a book, you know, here, read C.S. Lewis, you know, like whatever. Like rather than doing that, Live with them. Live life on life with them. Hear their problems about their marriages and their kids, right? We all have them. And then bring the gospel to bear on what's going on. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Things were intended to be good. We messed it up. God had a plan to redeem us and resave us. This is what it's supposed to look like. Can you imagine? Let's pray together. Bring the gospel to bear on our relationships. You know what's going to happen if we go through these processes of fumbling through, sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus? We're going to make mistakes, like I did with my buddy Ralph. (laughs) But that relationship has been redeemed and restored quite a bit. And now he listens to my podcasts, apparently. He still doesn't believe, but he listens, right? You're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. But the reality is we're going to grow. We're going to grow. And thirdly and lastly, we must be on guard that we do not become man-pleasers, which is really fear of man. That's the problem. That's probably the number one reason why we're afraid to share our faith with unbelievers, why we're denying the fact that there should be an about-face in our lives. It's because we're afraid. We're afraid of what they might say about us, what they might think about us. And the same is true for our Christian friends. Paul is a great example. You and I should be equally a great example. Amen? We should be. With God's grace and with God's strength and the Holy Spirit's power, we can be. We really can be. He shows us that we must have the courage to be vulnerable and speak personally about what the gospel means to us. Why? Because of this. Christianity is supposed to be an appeal to bring our whole life, our minds, and our hearts to Christ. That's the appeal. That's what it is. Pray with me, would you?